Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, people. Welcome back to the Honeymoon Homeschooling and Kids podcast. And we want to say that we appreciate all the reviews and messages we receive through the podcast players and social media. We love hearing how an episode impacted you. Thank you. Okay. So in this episode, my mom is interviewing Samantha Peterson. And what do you have to say about Samantha, mom? (laughs) Well, Samantha Peterson, this is another great interview with a unique perspective. And I love offering different perspectives because that's what we are. We are all different with different circumstances that influence our lives. And Samantha Peterson is a mom and former teacher. They are a travel schooling military family. And she says she's part of the new wave of military families looking for a difference. So we talked about day tripping, which is their shortened travel, cultivating curiosity, change, and family culture. As a military family, they experience a lot of change, and they've gotten very good at going with the flow with change. And uh, you can find her on Instagram at Raise a Little Wonder. Yes. And Samantha is a military family, and we were around a lot of military families in, when we lived in Korea. And yeah, it's kind of cool what they do. And yeah. yeah, American military families, because there's so many American military bases there, right? Right. Yeah. In South Korea. Okay. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and make sure to leave a review. We love hearing those and follow my mom on Instagram at Unschooling Robin and Honeymoon Homeschooling the Kids on Instagram and on Facebook, Honeymoon Homeschooling the Kids. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Bye. So today I have Samantha Peterson joining me on the podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule today to uh, have a chat with you, Samantha. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Samantha's family are a travel schooling military family, fully embracing the nomadic lifestyle. They love sharing their story of adventure, advocacy, love, and triumph. Not even a six-day work week can stand in the way. They encourage others to dream together, creating the life they want, no matter what obstacles they face. You can find her on Instagram at Raise a Little Wonder. All right. Thank you, Samantha. Maybe um, if you could as well, before we get into things, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family. How many kids you have? Um, if you're, you and your husband are both in the military, if just one of you is, uh, you can give us a little bit of insight on that. Sure. So we have three boys. We have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So we have a very loud, always messy, lovely life together. My husband is the one that is in the military. He is active duty. He's been in for nine years and is in the process of transitioning to become an officer, which is a really cool program that's offered to military families. And then there's me, and I am sort of the secretary of the family. I'm a Jane of all trades, so I have a full-time job now. Um, And just due to our military nomadic lifestyle, I have a lot of periods in life where I just kind of to do different things career-wise. 
Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you're the yeah. um, you're the backwardness and support of the military family, and that comes with a lot of roles and responsibilities. So it yeah, does. I totally understand that. Are you can you can are you able to let me know where are you locationed or stationed at right now? Yeah, so we are actually here. We are in Pullman, Washington. My husband had the privilege to be selected for the Green to Gold program, which is where enlisted soldiers up to a certain rank and amount of time in service can opt to. There's different ways, but what we did is he had two years left to finish his bachelor's program. And so he is completing that for two years at the University of Idaho. So he's still a soldier, but he's also a student. And that is his main job title, which is honestly like having a massive break compared to being a drill sergeant when he was before. And that led us here. So we are so excited. We just got here. Um, and it's going to be a great, great two years plus, question mark. Don't know when we'll leave, but we'll see. So does it work that when he's done school, uh, then you may be transferred elsewhere? Yes. Um, there's some different options. And he has to do some additional schooling, not necessarily at the university, but different training, depending on what he's going to branch and um, do as this kind of second second career that he's going to okay. have. Okay. So, um, you know, so each family that joins me on the show has a unique learning journey. And that's always what I want to share with listeners that no journey looks the same. I think it's different for every family because we all come from different circumstances and background and experiences. And because of that, we have different needs. And, um, and that's usually the, you know, the best where the, the learning comes from, right? Building on those experiences and realities in our life. Absolutely. So usually this is, you know, this is based on a framework of beliefs and values around learning, self-expression and the way uh, you choose to live life as well with your family and with your kids. Mm-hmm. So you're a military family, um, but you also travel frequently in homeschool. So you're a travel schooling family. So to get a little yes. background on that, were you and your husband married before he joined the military? Was that a choice that you made together or was he already in the military when you met? Sure. So, nope, we were not married before he joined. He, I actually met him really shortly after he got back from Afghanistan the second time. So he was already on deployment number two. Um, and I was a single mom at the time with my oldest. Um, and I was actually, I was a public school teacher. And um, I like to say that was, that was my life as a normal person. We just did the traditional, I guess, American life. It was very... American pie, if you want to, you know, kind of look at it that way. And then we got married and we merged, um, of course, families because I already had a family and we had two children of our own since then. But what we have kind of gone into is this new phase is like kind of an awakening period where when my oldest, because he was the only one in school for a while, it, it was very frustrating because the school schedule is demanding and they expect the kids to show up. And I get that from an attendance standpoint and from a learning standpoint. But what was missing was the kind of the piece that military families need, which is flexibility. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have that. So, you know, when my husband was working six days a week or seven days a week and we weren't seeing much of him and then he'd get a random Wednesday off, we were locked into him, go, you know, my oldest going to school and, um, in South Carolina. That was very serious um, to miss school for any reason. And so we were like, yeah, you know, it's important to attend, but it's also really important to have time as a family. And yes, yeah. we just were missing out on the, literally the only opportunities that we had. 
to do things as a family um, because of just a schedule. So that led to us doing a lot of investigating into homeschool. My husband was homeschooled up until seventh grade, but it looked very different for him. It, it was kind of an isolating experience. So he kind of had a negative perspective. But me being me and never wanting to be mainstream anything, um, I started finding, I listened to podcasts, a lot of podcasts initially. I found the wild and free community to be very stimulating and exciting for me and kind of a good path. So I did a lot of research leading up to that point where we decided kind of from this point on, let's be homeschoolers and let's try this. So ended up, my oldest is still in traditional school, which I feel makes us a little bit of a hybrid homeschooling family. And then my four-year-old, everything that we've done thus far is very homeschoolish. It's very eclectic, so I don't label ourselves anything like that. But um, we are enjoying the freedom that comes with, you know, just looking into the future and knowing that there's not going to be any barriers for us, at least for our middle child and our youngest child. And then my oldest just trying to find, um, we're looking into some charter school options, other schooling options that might allow more flexibility. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So how does it work? Um, like I know, for example, my experience with military families and the, the American military families are when I lived overseas, um, primarily when I lived in South Korea. And so a lot, um, depending on, I think, availability, some can live on base, for example, and there is usually a school on base that the kids attend, uh, the kids of the military families that are there. So a lot homeschool, you know, I guess really it depends upon the families in that way. I knew of one that went to actually a Korean kindergarten, and that was a choice the parents made because they wanted him to pick up the Korean language and, um, and just broaden his experiences that way. Does it, is it the same when you're stationed in Washington? Or uh, does, is that a military school your kids, like your son would be going to? Or is that a public school in the area where you are? Sure. It is definitely a choice. And I feel like that was that was kind of the, the old school military way of life was just to um, stay on the base, not venture off too far, have your kids go to the base school. It was just very kind of cut and dry and similar. But really, there's sort of a new wave of military families, I feel like, that we are kind of latching on and a part of. Um, we have chosen to live off base in all but one of the locations that we were at. And um, you do not have to attend school on post. You can choose to live wherever. Um, obviously, you can choose to live two hours away if you want to. Your husband or whoever's serving just has to be able to make the requirements, you know, making it to work on time and such. So um, it's really a case-by-case scenario. But what I will say is is that what we have learned and what we have discovered and why we're choosing this lifestyle um, is that military families need to embrace the fact that we are not average. We are not your average family. We are exceptions to that. And being these exceptions call for an exceptional life. And you need to be able to embrace and it just helps create a more positive experience all around when, when you can say, right, so we are going to be moving to Korea, like you said. Um, and you know what? I'm going to let my children be completely immersed in the Korean culture and the Korean schools. And that might not look like they are learning the same thing as the fourth graders back home in Oklahoma. They are going to learn something completely different. And homeschool is a great option for that. If you want to fully embrace culture and do different studies, which we know being homeschoolers, but if you're wanting to go a more traditional route, I would say just being open to different types of educational options for your kids is, is important. 
Mm, absolutely. Okay. It broadens the experience too. And again, yeah, it gives you the flexibility, right? Absolutely. Because the frustration really lies with military families. And when you're trying to replicate what, what your neighbor is doing or what your friends are doing back home when they've lived in the same town their entire life. And, you know, that's kind of what, that's the natural go-to and inclination is to say, um, oh, you know, they're playing ball at the same club and they can do all of these things that we can't. It's very frustrating and very difficult to realize you can't live that type of life because we are such transient a group of people. And so really being able to work your life in whatever way makes sense to you to be able to allow that exception to be embraced and to shift your lifestyle like us, we have shifted to being really travel is our family culture. It is in everything that we do. It's what we focus on. And we did that so that we didn't become frustrated every two years when it was time to move. We're like, oh, yes, this is a new look at this new home base and this new adventures, all these new adventures that we're going to have um, that's awarded to us because we have this opportunity. It's something that's not done to us. It's something that is done kind of for us. And I think you can look at it either way. Mm, absolutely. Are you saying that you have embraced more of the traveling lifestyle or nomadic lifestyle as a military family, because in a way it's just only helped your family to um, adjust and be at ease with I mean, because in a way you're nomadic because you are a military family, but then you're also nomadic in a travel because you travel quite a bit as well, quite regularly. So is that a way to ease into transition? Does that help the, um, the nomadic lifestyle on the military side of things because you're open to that change and movement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we are primarily to a single income family, we realized first that we needed to sort of go to not a full minimalist lifestyle, but we needed to learn how to live with less so that we could live with more and less was the materials end of things. And when we started doing that, we opened up financially to be able to afford to travel more, which traveling is the one thing that from base to base, location to location, like that's what my kids depend on is, is travel. Like that's what we do as a family. That's who we are. They might not be able to expect dad to show up for whatever sport they're playing at the current moment because his travel, you know, his schedule is, can change. He might not show up until nine o'clock one night. We never know. It just, it just happens. But what they can expect and depend on is that when we get a moment together, we're probably going to go travel and it's time where they get mom and dad completely focused on them. We're not traveling to escape and all go off to our own little corners. We're traveling to embrace each other again, which we have found that is only something that we can do through travel because when we're just sitting at home on a weekend and, and, you know, there are some weekends where you have to do that, but then the to-do lists come into play and then the chores come into play. And then you just miss so many hours of the actual day focusing on things that really aren't important. Whereas if we take that precious time and we try to focus on experiencing new things together in real time, that's where the opportunities lie to just continue to forge us as a family moving forward. I don't think I've ever quite heard it expressed that way, actually, that because so many times travel does become an escape, right? Um, sometimes it's an escape from your current lifestyle or sometimes for some it's actually, you know, escaping from a situation that you're involved in and you just maybe can't deal with or you need space from kind of thing. Yeah. But it's, it's not an escape for you, but a way to embrace each other and to have more of that quality time 
And therefore, like you said, you don't have the distraction because there's always this, right. There's always a to-do list. There's always dishes to do and laundry to do and, you know, plans for the week and all that sort of stuff that you can busy yourself with. And then the day is done, the weekend's done, the week is done. Yes. And so with that too, I just, when we, like you'll see on our Instagram that we say we're day trippers and we're day travelers. And that's really, that's the bulk of what we do. And I've talked a lot um, on a few different podcasts before. But I feel like for families that have young kids, especially for families that don't have a lot of time, what this does by traveling more frequently, but in a way that is less in terms of it costs less money, um, there's less pressure because you're not, you know, again, it it really comes down to money a lot Mm -hmm. of the times. We haven't, this is not our one vacation of the year where we've dropped all this money. And if our kids throw a random tantrum in the middle of the day and it takes the whole entire day to kind of correct we're like, oh, this is blown. Hundreds right. of dollars are blown. And like, my day is ruined. This is all I get. Like, no, we have completely taken all the pressure that comes out of that one vacation a year that's like circled 40 times on the calendar. And this is our normal. Like, it is normal for us to just go somewhere every weekend. And it's not always grand. And in fact, I mean, I think it's grand because it's beautiful, but it's most of the times it's free or it doesn't cost that much. And it's close to home too. So, um, for example, we went to um, we went to a the, the only national park in South Carolina, and we were really excited to go. It was only about forty five minutes away from the house, which is great, and it was like super exciting for me because I'm really into national parks. We're trying to get the kids into that whole culture, and my eight year old he ended up having like a, an ear infection that came on literally in the forty five minute drive, and. Um, You know, if we would have instead chosen to say, let's go to Yellowstone, but it was going to cost hundreds of dollars and he got that same ear infection, it just would have been a completely different trip. And so traveling frequently in a low barrier, low pressure kind of way is just a whole different way to experience family travel. Mm, Absolutely. And do you think that also helps because your kids are younger? Do you think it maybe might change when they're older, like say when they're teenagers? Right. So Disney is not on our radar at all. I'm sorry, Disney. I love you one day. Um, But I just, we've just, we try to meet our kids where they're at. We try to um, accept the fact that they're all unique. They're all individual and they're three different human beings completely. So they're interested in completely different things. And for us, that just means right now, a lot of outdoor experiences, a lot of outdoor travel in a wide open space, because if we are trying to take them to a museum right now, it's not going to work. Even like a baseball game, not going to work. You know, one of them's going to enjoy it. The other two are going to hate it (laughs) or vice versa. So we just try to, again, stick with the outdoors as much as we can, at least right now, when they are all older and hopefully through homeschooling, but not in the sense that my kids have to only be homeschooled for this to work, but that we are learning together as a family all the time. And home education, I think you said this in a podcast a while ago, but home education is our family value. We are always going to be learning new things together. As long as we stay on that path, then I believe that no matter what age our kids are, that our travels will always have the same feeling of a united family experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's, it's funny you brought that up because that was the next question that I was going to ask you is, you know, what your beliefs towards learning are, learning and education. But, you know, that's also pretty clear in your travels as well, because that's such a huge learning experience and opportunity right there. And 
so many, anyone, educators, like teachers, homeschool parents talk about having authenticity in their learning, in education. And um, sometimes it's hard to replicate that in a classroom setting. But many times doing things like going to a national park, being outside and active, being in nature, there's so many learning experiences, authentic learning experiences, and being with your family and building those uh, foundations are huge learning experiences right there. Absolutely. So I think both both in, in meshing the world of, I want to say home education versus homeschooling, because um like my oldest is is probably just because I share custody with his father. He's probably for the future, near future, always going to stay in a traditional kind of school setting. But that doesn't mean that he's not home educated Absolutely. because when we go on vacations, um, when we go on vacations, we whip out our um, our guides. So we are going to we went to Ruby Beach, for example, this past summer and we were just in awe. Everybody was trying to identify um, the Welches and what species is this? And that's a gooseneck clam and it's on a California mussel. And we were all so into it. And that's a heavy marine biology experience. Yeah, uh, I is, mean, like, yeah. if you don't think that's education, like, boy, you're wrong. You know, that's what yeah. we were doing the whole time. My four-year-old <laughs> can tell you more tide pool dwelling species. He can identify more of those than letters right now. Um, <laughs> that's because he's interested in it. And he, he will like that educated I mean like not not really the educated child but the um the curious child which is always what we're trying to cultivate in this whole thing is curiosity the curious child will always ask the right questions he might not care about identifying letters in a traditional sense when you're sitting down with a flashcard but what he is going to do is be like mom um what letter does an enemy start with and you know we can write it in the sand right now we have options it doesn't have to be in a brick and mortar setting or a paper and pencil setting um and that's that's what we love about kind of having this as our family culture and i think too a big question and a big point maybe of of frustration i guess when you compare traditional families who are not home educating to homeschooling families is that everybody has the questions of how do we raise good humans? That's what everybody wants to do. Like, I just want to raise good kids. Um, And that's going to look unique. And if we want to raise humans that are interested in our world and that care about our world, that was a big thing in public education. Then they have to have these authentic experiences. They have to have exposure that's why we're trusting so much in the process of kind of travel schooling is that we, we truly believe that through travel schooling and through these firsthand experiences, that's how they're going to be good humans. And that's how they're going to be aware humans and people who grow up to be passionate, driven by those passions and very strong in their sense of identities as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And a sense of identity is such a huge thing as well, going into adulthood. I mean, I think that so many, even as adults are still trying to obtain is a sense of identity. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm working in higher education right now. And kind of like I said in, in my introduction, I'm on my what, like fifth career, <laughs> I guess, if you want to see it as that. I, I don't see it that way. I don't see it as such an official capacity. I just kind of see it as what I'm interested right in right now. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, I do understand having the career that will eventually lead into the pension and all of those things. And that's important. But um, you have plenty of time in your adult life to do that. And as children, maybe we're not maybe through 
you know, what we're doing right now as a mass culture is we're not giving them enough time to dive deep into what they love and their passions. I will let my, it's mainly my middle child because my one and a half year old, he's just funny. He doesn't really have interests, <laughs> I guess, out that, you know, too much outside of a normal toddler, but yeah, I'm going to let, I'm going to let my four year old be as into garbage and recycling as he wants to be for as long as possible. And then it's cool to see him mesh that with a strong passion for marine life and and for the ocean. And that's something we share as a family, but I'm totally encouraging him. I'm like, so Sean, uh, how can one day you be the garbage man that you want to be, but how can you clean up the oceans? Does that mean mommy gets to sit on the big boat and get a nice suntan while you're working to solve world issues? (laughs) like can that happen so you know just encouraging them to explore um however they want to explore is is a good freedom about homeschooling that i think more people need to to know oh absolutely i think in any educational setting so then i want to ask you as well you know and based on the framework of coming as, as being a teacher and i hadn't realized that you were a teacher as well has that um have a lot of your core beliefs changed uh you know, coming from being a teacher to, you know, having being a, a mom that travel schools with her kids and living this lifestyle, or has it pretty well always stayed the same? I think my background, most of it I had to throw out the door because a lot of just what you receive when you're at the university is how to constantly evaluate children for different standard, standardized testing. And I do understand, you know, a good bit. And I do rely on a good bit of just kind of being able to sit back and evaluate and go, I could just take the, everything that they're doing in this moment. And I can categorize this into the different topics. So this is actually social studies. This is actually language arts. This is actually gross motor. This is actually this. And I mean, being able to like kind of take that perspective from a ways back is helpful. I think in my confidence to keep going and doing what I'm doing, I, I hear that a lot in different mothers. And I'll be honest, I still feel it, but I think that just being able to say, if someone came up to me and they were staring at my child and they wanted to know on the spot, like to, to tell me, this is, this is not schooling. Like he's missing out on this, this, and this having the ability from my education to go, Oh no, you know, this actually is this. And I can assess him right here on the spot in the way that would translate into the education world is very helpful. So it, it does make me, I guess, feel more powerful in my right to say this is a good choice and call mm-hmm. me out anytime. I'd, I'd be happy to back it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because, um, you know, I just recently had an interview. I haven't released it yet, but I think actually it'll be already released um, before this episode. Um, but someone I know she's doing her education degree and she was a homeschooler before that. She had her psychology degree actually before. Um, now she's doing her, getting her teacher's training, doing her ed degree. But she said one of the things that she came across was doubters, you know, the kind of like how, you know, who are you to homeschool your kids kind of thing. And in some ways, she was kind of like, she said, you know, getting this education degree, even though I already have a psych degree, (laughs) is almost that kind of like that justification Uh in the world, you know, and, you know, she has her, some of her kids have some, you know, learning disabilities or ADHD, and she's had a little bit of, um, 
not confrontation, but gets a little bit of flack from educators, actually. Right. It's kind of like, you know, now I feel like I could be like, well, actually, <laughs> you know, even though her home education is not going to change. Sure. You know, because she's already, she's got that. Like she says, like she says, what professionals actually say about her kids is all that matters. They say, you know what? Your kids are extremely confident kids, more so than many that we see. And that is the importance for her. Right. And the clashing of those two worlds, um, it, it becomes very apparent. And then at other times it kind of sits in the background. Knowing kind of my separation from the public education world, it came when and why I choose and will always choose to constantly home educate in some form is that the world does not would not view my children um, and see them for what they're worth right now if they were to just go into the public education system. And I left it at that. And there was no outside influence at home, you know, coming into them as in terms of their what they're learning. And, you know, my, like I said, my four-year-old can identify more tide pool dwelling species, which is extremely high functioning. Um, Mm -hmm. He has such a, his cognitive function is just amazing. Like he, he has such amazing comprehension. He just can have the most deep conversations with you and understand things on a very deep and real level that I don't feel like most four-year-olds, you know, have. But then if I was to go take him to the classroom to get him assessed for where he's at, which is something that you need to do in the public education system because it's education for the masses. Um, he would probably be labeled as behind because he doesn't know all of his letters. He doesn't all know all of his numbers and he doesn't care anything about writing right now outside of writing his name, which he doesn't even have mastered. But I don't care about any of those things because I know that just through consistently feeding his curiosity that he's going to want to learn how to write his name. He's going to want to know how to dictate the experience that he had in a journal, that will all come. But to diminish the, um, what I feel is such higher education in, in the study with marine biology or studying whatever it is that he wants to focus on at the moment to first learn how to write it down in the right and proper way, I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kids, it terrifies me a little bit for them to be viewed and I guess graded in the way that we grade the masses. Right. Which the history nerd in me wants everybody to know that, you know, public education was created for the masses. That that hasn't changed. So you're not going to get um, if we wonder why we're not producing highly individualized and confident people. It's because they're, the mass system was not created to do such. Right. It doesn't encourage creativity or questioning is a big thing that's not encouraged, which you need in curiosity and creativity. You know, asking why. Can you explain this to me? Why does this happen like this? What about this? Yeah. Usually it's like, okay, be quiet now. (laughs) Well, and and that's nothing to knock what the teachers are doing because I was one and it's very hard, but there's just literally not enough time in the day to, to do that. And, um, and to have a class, again, if you look at a child as a whole and as an individual, if you stick 30 of them in the classroom, that is 30 different educational paths mm-hmm. that they have the right to. So to be able to just say that in public education that we can, that's why you should only homeschool or, you know, or to say that there's anything wrong with the system. No, it's, there's just not enough time and that's not what it's for. So if you're wondering why, you know, your child doesn't have all the time to ask why and, you know, why we have to do so many tests, it's to prove that we can get the mass quantity of the 30 children, whatever it is, to a certain point. And that you have to remove a lot of the individualized components to do so. There's really just no way around it. Right. So would you say a lot of it becomes classroom management and, and keeping within that structure and schedule? That's the main 
course of it. A huge portion of your day is classroom management. And that's one thing I think that a lot of maybe parents, when I always get the, I don't know how you do that. Like I couldn't be with my kids all day. And what am I going to do with them for eight hours? But mm. and I go, hey guys, you know, if you're looking at a classroom of 30 students and you're teaching a math lesson, there are going to be, there's one student that's going to finish in five minutes. And there's another maybe five, 10 students that are going to finish in 10. Another ones that are going to take you the entire time that you have allotted to grasp the concept. But the coolest thing about homeschooling is that we get to just focus on our one. So um, there's, you know, it may only take us two hours to actually quote unquote give him what he needs in a day, you know, where he's finishing his lessons in a satisfactory way. Um, and the rest of it is interest led because there's time to do so. Right. And, and you have the time. Yeah, exactly. You have the time. You have the time to do that, to slow down, to speed up and, and to adapt to their individualized learning. Yeah. Which is a huge thing as well. It yeah. is. So then I would like to um, ask you, because I agree with all of that. Absolutely. And I mean, it's one of those things where you're torn because, you know, you want everyone to have that opportunity, but then you see that it's also just not possible in so many ways. And education is an old, large institution worldwide <laughs> across every country, and it has very many similarities across every country that, you know, I think there's a slow change, but it's still because it's such a huge institution, it, it's slow, really. I, you know, I think so. And, and that's, again, what kind of mass machine can operate on such an individualized level. I, I don't know many things that can, um, the way that it's governed. And so when I start seeing some of some um, different schools, schooling options pop up that are focused on things like to have um, kind of like a language immersion, even public elementary school that might be teaching your kids Mandarin um, all throughout their elementary years, I think is great. And I would love to see more more charter school options pop up, more Montessori options pop up. And I think that the more people are willing to look into that and research what it really is instead of just going, ah, oh, I don't know, it's weird. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's what we really need to see. Um, I'm all for kind of keeping it local, education as much, all things local, but, you know, education especially. And again, especially for our fellow military families, just to take what you can from the area that you are in and not to try and look at education almost from a consistency standpoint and just accept like I, if we went to Hawaii, I would want to find, you know, the most opportunities that I could for my children to embrace that kind of culture and that lifestyle. But that might not look the same in terms of education and what they're advancing or even learning if we were to live in New York city or anything like right. that. So, you know, just, Again, it's a lot of a lot of embracing, a lot of rolling with the punches. Right, absolutely. Is Hawaii a possibility, <laughs> by the way? <laughs> it's a hope. It's a dream. So is Europe. Um, I told my husband, I said, if you get me to Europe, if you get us to a posting in Germany or in Italy or really anywhere, um, good luck getting me back. So <laughs> finish your career. We'll, we'll be in um, wherever, wherever in Europe that's not coming. Uh, Europe is a popular one. I have some friends as, as well that, yeah, they, they love Europe. Let me just say, yeah. And we're looking to going back as soon as they could. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just, it's just the accessibility to so many cultures, both ancient culture yeah. um, and just, just the different ones that are available. Because I think when in America, you know, we're diversified, we have a lot of states and each state is different, which is great. And I'm exploring that with my kids too. Before we try to just go full bore international one day. But I think that's the draw to Europe. And that's what people learn to love about it is just that 
in America where we don't have the opportunity to go, you know, 30, drive 30 minutes and be in a completely different country with a different language and this, this amazing history behind it. We're kind of lost in that. Mm -hmm. So definitely taking all that you can in while you're um, at each duty station, if your military is key. Yes, absolutely. So then when it comes to military, are what are some of the unique circumstances that would affect a military family that non-military, that civilians would not have to contend with or probably even think about? Oh, um, you know, we just change is so hard for so many people um, and, and change is inevitable. It's like you have to totally embrace it when you're military. You're the kids. There's just, just uh, you know, from a big a mile away perspective, the schools are going to change the type of education and the quality of education. If they're just going traditional, that is going to change what you learn in Florida. You're not going to learn in New York, having to let go of friends, having to let go of proximity to family, um, just in terms of accessibility and what you're close to. So we fully love the Pacific Northwest. We did everything that we could to get back here. And it's just this crazy, wild, um, rugged outdoor adventure that we're on right now. Um, but then there's a huge possibility that we could get stationed in Kansas, um, <laughs> which doesn't have the same exposure and um, options. And that's OK, but you just have to be able to find a way to make that time in that station work for you. Additionally, I don't think that people really realize that I, I Googled it this morning, and it's actually less than 1%. It's 0.9% of the entire population is currently serving in the military across the, the armed forces and the branches. So we are really a niche niche community. And Sorry, 0.9% of the entire population? I'm pretty sure, yeah, 0.9%. Okay. So less than 1% of the entire population is in currently serving in the military. And... That makes us very unique. But when we come into your communities, into your neighborhoods, um, please talk to us. Uh, please say <laughs> hello to us. Like, it's great when a mom gives me her phone number. I'm like, you're so brave. It would have taken me three months, you know, maybe to find you. Because we do. We have to We have to come in and we have to readapt everything. You know, I don't even have a doctor for myself right now. So just everything that you kind of have because you know all about your community, we have to constantly reinvent and reconfigure. Right. Yeah, you absolutely do. Okay. So would you think, would you say that maybe some of these challenges are also blessings? The fact that you have been able to adapt and roll with the punches and really be very present to the world around you and those experiences around you because of living the military lifestyle? Absolutely. It has been the biggest blessing in disguise. And there was the first two years, I would say, were really difficult because we just kind of kept hitting that brick wall of like, um, our friends are upgrading their life and they're upgrading mm. their house and they're doing this. And um, we can't because we were renters and we can't. And it was just so many I can't statements that we just got sick and tired of it. Um, and we literally started throwing things out or donating them. Um, and we're like, we, um, we just... We became minimalist and we love that. And we became avid travelers in, in the sense of traveling locally because that's what we could afford. And we're advocates for everybody to feel like what it is, the experiences that you can have are can make you a traveling family. You don't have to travel to far off, amazing, expensive places to have that title. And we have really developed a sense of a really close family and close family bonds. And I feel like through having to give it all up all the time, we truly know what's important to us and we're not bogged down by 
a lot of the things and having to have the things because you're in one community and nothing ever changes and nothing's ever new. So the only way to get something new is just to buy it to buy or to own right. it. So we're right. like, no, you know, maybe, maybe we don't fit in so well here. Well, in two years, we're going to go somewhere new. And what we have to rely on is each other and to just continue to focus on those bonds, which again, if you stay somewhere your entire life, there might not be such an emphasis on having to constantly reforge your family bonds where we are faced with that reality all the time and have to make sure that it's strong so it can survive. Right. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, that's a great insight too. When you said sometimes maybe if you're living in the same place and there's not very many changes, you've always lived in the same place. Your family's always in the same place. Sometimes to have that difference or changes is, you know, getting something new, attaining something new. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it can still burden you. It can still, you know, it, it's a different kind of attachment, right? So it is. It there's is. less freedom with it. I, I think so. I think so. Absolutely. Because you kind of, again, that's your circle of friends and most people don't like change at all. And so they are afraid to change it. So if all your friends go to Florida in the summer at the same town, like literally in, that happened to Tennessee, the entire town that I used to live in goes to, they literally go to Destin at the same time of the year. It's their one vacation. And then in the fall, they might go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and that's it. And literally everybody does that all the time. And I'm just going, do you not know that there are other places in the world? Do you not want to see them? But, um, it's a high, it's there. I think there's a big social component to that and fitting in socially yeah. and being able to have those stories to share with Bob on a Friday night. Cause you're going to see him every Friday. Right. Whereas we're just like, you know, kind of out here as a little bit of loners, but, um, we have a lot of freedom in that and that's been really beautiful. Yeah. Hey, I hear you. We, we as well are, you know, outlier families that live in a small community. So yeah. <laughs> I understand completely. Yeah. Sometimes you're a little bit alone and maybe a little bit strange, but you know, <laughs> we love each other. We enjoy our life. We're, we're happy. Right. And yeah, you know, that's the most I can ask for really. My kids are, we, we enjoy spending time together and you know, as much as we do, it still gets stronger every day. So I'm very grateful. I just don't know that we would have really known how to even start that process. And, and what everybody, I think that's ideal. And every, there's, I don't know anybody that's not like, yeah, I don't want to be close to my kids. And I don't want to have right. a good relationship. <laughs> but how, the how um, became really apparent when we started becoming those outlier families that are just focusing in on ourselves and being so internal Um I would just implore everybody to start exploring more together um, and see what that does for the family dynamic. Mm, good. Cause I was just going to actually ask you, cause I know our time is coming to an end too. And I have those two last questions for you. You know, what advice would you give to parents on a similar journey? And is that what you would say? Start exploring more, having more of those experiences together. Yeah, I would definitely say that travel is something that we kind of have cast um, into this expensive once in a lifetime experience. And I would say just throw that out the door completely. Start traveling more in an everyday kind of way, in a local way, however, wherever, whenever you can. Um, and start to look inward too. If you can, try not to travel to escape, like we said earlier, but try to travel to embrace each other again. Um, and always trying to put yourself in a scenario where that's possible. So if that means that literally it's, you have to go to no cell service to not be burdened with electronics or tablets or whatever it is, then do that and do it a lot. That's really the only way to make headway and to make change because it is difficult. 
at the end of the day, if you've worked a 40 hour work week or, or whatever it is to, to not want that time for yourself. But, um, again, not putting too much of a financial burden on yourselves again, when you travel is really important, I think, um, because then it allows for a lot of flexibility and allows your kids to still be kids and you not to get too mad at them when a tantrum kind of takes over the whole day. Right, right. So I was also going to say, could you leave us with a few, even maybe three practical tips or two practical tips for traveling with kids? But would you, is that what you would say? Um, Going to a place with no cell service so you can be um, out of touch, but together and trying to make it um, not so it's not a financial burden. Sure. So speaking some of our quotes or do you have any other ones you want to share? I think my my top one is to to say, if you want to make memories that are truly memorable, then you need to be engaged. If you are not engaged with whatever it is that you are doing with your children, um, it becomes two completely separate experiences and can form into two completely different memories. So I would say just being really mindful of that is important and can change your whole, the whole entire experience for everybody as a family. When, when everyone is engaged and everyone is excited to be together and to do it together, um, I know there's supposed to be two other ones, but I think that that's really the top. And, and yeah. that has so many offshoots of it that we can just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good. It's really good. Okay. Well, you know, I, I know this was fantastic. Um, I would love to talk more. And I know many listeners would love to reach out to you. How can they get in touch with you or follow you? You're on Instagram at Raise a Little Wonder. Are there any other ways? You can find us primarily on Instagram at Raise a Little Wonder. That's definitely where we're posting our most um, up-to-date adventures, and we try to post them as much as we can. You can also find us on RaiseAlittleWonder.com. It is our family blog where we share kind of our tips and tricks for families. So if you want more tips from me, that's where you can head. I have plenty of posts on that so far. Thank you, Samantha. It was really good. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. homeschooling.com.